Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. Uh, I'm excited about today. First of all, I want to thank everyone for going to iTunes, rating it five stars, uh, leaving comments, for sharing the episodes. I love all the feedback. I love reading your comments. I appreciate it. Um, also, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. If, if you've been going to therapy or group sessions and and you feel like um, that has not been beneficial to you, it, it hasn't helped you find purpose, it hasn't helped you to reduce the mental pain and suffering that you're undergoing, go to thrivewithleo.com and we can get you started with one-on-one coaching. With that said, I was looking at um, the the feedback and the response I got from the Neuroscience of Suicidal Behavior uh, that episode, which is two episodes back, and it was so much love and such a huge response, and I only took a part of what I had learned from that book because it was it was so science dense, and I just wanted to distill it to um, what would be like easily digestible. But there there was so much I left on the table that I want to continue. I want to continue the conversation, and I decided to go back in the book and 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 share more of what I learned from it. It'll be a little sciency, but for the overall, this will um, it's it's so valuable, and uh, and I can't I can't wait to share the other takeaways that I had from this book, The Neuroscience of Suicidal Behavior by Keith Van Heringen. Um, so let's get started. The well, before I say, before I even do that, uh, tomorrow I'll be on a plane going to Machu Picchu for my birthday, which is uh, March 18th. Me and my girl are going. Her birthday is March, uh-oh, like 9th or 8th or so, somewhere around it. We're both a Pisces is what I'm trying to tell you. But uh, this is part of my, I want to visit all seven continents. And this is part of, when, you t- when we talk about purpose and we get you out of bed in the morning, uh, to visit all seven continents is uh, one of the things that's driving me and, and getting me out of bed. Also, you know, talking and sharing with you guys and coaching, all those things. Uh, but it's good to have these major uh, goals uh, it, in addition to our smaller goals like brushing our teeth and taking a shower, those things. But we also want to have big things that we look forward to. Uh, and that seem a bit uh, ridiculous. Going to Antarctica is uh, the biggest challenge, just financially. It's so expensive to go there, but you know, you it, it makes it worthwhile to to, and it gives me something else to think about other than myself. Um, so let's go into the neuroscience of suicidal behavior, uh, and the main takeaway the the I, it's. It, the ba- the book basically says that when we're talking about suicidality, that is broken down into stressors and um, uh, genetics at, at the core, right? So basically, we're born with a, a certain uh, genetic predisposition, and uh, they those genetics might be activated based on life stressors like abuse, childhood adversity, psychosocial stress, um, uh, you know, and, and, and those things, bullying, things like that, that might activate 
the the genetics that then cause us to be uh, more impulsive, reduce our decision making, increase inflammation, so on and so forth. So I just want to make it clear that the book is stating that um, the suicidality is a combination of our our epigenetics and also our life stressors. So he's he's saying it's both environmental and genetic, right? And so on the genetic side, because we talked about the environmental, like I said, childhood adversity, psychosocial stress, uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, uh, uh, bullying, things like that. But on the genetic side, he's talking about uh, uh, decreased serotonin, an increase of glutamate, um, and inflammation. A lot of times, um, I want to break down the inflammation part first, because people have expressed that um, uh, w- when they feel suicidal, it's it's like a heat. It's a heat. It's like flames, right? Uh, and 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 some of the books that I've read, they've described it described it as such as it's this heat. It's this pressure, and and what they're really talking about is inflammation in their body. So there is a, a physiological chemical response that your body is having, which is great news because that means that there are things we can do to reduce the inflammation in our body, uh, which we'll get into. Um, and then also with the decreased serotonin, which is that feel-good drug, right? Sometimes we're we're, we're happy and we're excited. We're like, wow, I feel really good today. That's that serotonin. And uh, we see a decrease in serotonin in, in, uh, in people who experience uh, suicidality. So the good news with that is also there are things we can do to increase our serotonin or at least keep it at a, a manageable uh, level. And then there's also an increase in glutamate and people uh, experiencing suicidality. So when we, like I said, like we talked about the serotonin and the glutamate and inflammation, uh, addressing the genetic factors, there is a a high link and and a lot of promise in lithium. So when we talk about medication, uh, lithium has shown a lot of promise in, 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 because what lithium does is it increases your serotonin. Now, if you're like me, I don't like taking drugs. Um, um, I'm not a big, and, and I don't even want to call it a drug, a, a meds. I'm not a big med person. I'm not a, I don't like to take any pills. And, and it's partly because I grew up in a household where uh, nobody, I never saw anybody in my family take it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a thing. In some households, everything is, uh, is immediately treated with some type of uh, drug or, or liquid or NyQuil or, or um, uh, Tylenol or Advil, ibuprofen. Uh, some families are just quick to pop a pill uh, in your mouth. Um, but in my family, it was, it was ginger ale. <laughs> if there was a problem, it was either ginger ale or uh, Vicks, and those those were the two, or if it or soup, it was chicken noodle soup. So those were the things that, uh, or, or ice cream, even ice cream. Those were our uh, meds. Those were our hugs, or just go sleep it off. But 
So what lithium is doing fundamentally is increasing serotonin. And so if you're like I said, if you're like me and you don't like to take meds or drugs or maybe your your lithium prescription ran out, um, there are natural ways for us to increase our serotonin. Um, and, and here's a list. One is uh, B vitamins. You can take a B vitamin. Uh, I was just I just had a, a doctor uh, Kambata. And he wrote this book called uh, uh, Managing, what was it? Not Managing Diabetes. It was something about diabetes. I'm so upset with myself because I just had him on. But anyway, he was talking about no matter what your diet is, you need to have a B12 supplement. B12 is the only vitamin that we're unable to get from anywhere. It's usually found in dirt in the ground. However, because of all the processing that we, we've done and all the destruction of the earth's soil, um, we no longer have uh, access to the amount of B12 that we need. So no matter what, no matter if you eat meat or don't eat meat, Excuse me. We need B12. I don't know why I yawn. There is, I have to figure that out. There's, <laughs> I never, I never yawn until, uh, until I'm doing a podcast. Um, the other way to increase serotonin is through a body massage. Um, I get, I try to get a massage every week and I know that that's, uh, extremely expensive for most people. So if you can't afford a massage, it just oh, it just feels so good. It feels so good to lay there with your face down, and she's just walking on my back. I get I get a Thai massage. I get the same lady. It's amazing. And what I've noticed when I get the massage, excuse me. What I've noticed when I get the massage is that. My my thoughts expand, my hopes, my dreams, the things that I want to get done. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about performing in arenas, and all the all the goals that I want to accomplish. And then I'm also thinking about the things that I'm grateful for, and all the positive things that it just releases the serotonin. All these feel good things. I I've, I I can't remember. I don't know if I've ever laid there, gotten a massage, and uh was having uh destructive thoughts at the same time i i don't think that's ever been the situation even recently uh for my girl's birthday oh her birthday was march 3rd we celebrated it. oh my god my my memory's horrible um we went and got uh mani petties uh, i'm not i'm ashamed to admit it but but it's 2020 i should be able to get a mani petty um and we got the Manny Petty. And I got to tell you, it felt great. It felt great to, to have someone at my feet, massaging my feet, and then massaging my hands, and 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 and, and tri trimming the, the fingernails. I'm not going back. But it was, <laughs> was a, for the time I was like, oh, this is cool. I was like, I understand why women do this. There was a couple dudes in there, too. Uh, you know, you, you get some time off, read your magazines, watch the news. I don't know why they play the news uh, in, in massage uh, or any spa places. Uh, it's supposed to be relaxing. The news is not relaxing. 
But anyway, so we t- we covered B12 uh, or B vitamins, but B12 specifically to increase serotonin. Uh, we also talked about getting a massage, right, to increase your serotonin. And like I said, we're talking about natural ways of increasing it besides the lithium if you don't want to take lithium. Um, exercise, just 20 minutes, get your heart rate up. An hour is great. If you can exercise outside, if you can exercise outside in a group, I mean, that's the best thing. If you go to Asia, that's what they do. They outside getting a little uh, Tai Chi on in a park, in a group. And then you're getting that vitamin D, that sunshine, which also increases serotonin, right? Uh, the other thing you can do is uh, take in tryptophan, any foods with tryptophan like pineapple, nuts, tofu, turkey, those all have uh, tryptophan in it. And that helps to uh, produce the serotonin that you need to feel good. Uh, your magnesium might also be low. so and, and you can get a magnesium supplement, but it's better to get it from your dark leafy greens. You should be eating dark leafy greens anyway. But if you're eating your dark leafy greens, your spinach, your kale, your arugulas, your your shard, um, that it will, it will produce magnesium in your body, which then produces serotonin. And you also need that magnesium to help you sleep at night. A lot of people struggle with sleep because the magnesium levels are low. So get your dark leafy greens in every single day. Make a green smoothie in the morning. But you need your dark leafy greens to produce the magnesium so that it can produce serotonin so that you can feel good about yourself, right? Um, also vitamin C, which once again you're going to get from uh, your, your, your vegetables. Um, gratitude. You take a, a few moments to show, express a little gratitude, like thank you for the day, thank you for my childhood, thank you for the ability to breathe in and out, for the ability to see all the colors, uh, of the greens, the reds, the shades, right? Uh, the ability to talk, that, that, that your tongue can move. Do you know how crazy that is? That you can blink? Just just gratitude for re- for the ability to laugh. To cry. You know, uh, you know, I lost my aunt. She passed away yesterday and and I went for a nice long walk and and during a walk today I, I, I cried and and at first I was like, Oh man, it sucks. And then I, I actually was grateful for crying because that means that I, I feel something. And that I'm alive, and that I'm not numb, and that and that I. I'm so sorry, all these yards. I can't believe it. Um, but gratitude is another way for us to increase serotonin. And then also uh, reducing sugars. Reduce your sugars, uh, because yeah, you'll get that quick uh, spike, but you'll also get a crash. And nobody likes to crash. I don't like car crashes. I don't like, I only, only crash I like was wedding crashes. That's what Vince Vaughn and um, I forget, I forget the other guy's name, but, but it was a really good movie. Uh, and then meditation. When we meditate, we're, we're getting that 5-H-I-A-A uh, released in our brain, whatever that is, 5-H-I-A-A, look that up. But meditation helps 
to release and produce serotonin. So these are all things that we can do to replace the lithium that we don't want to take, right? Now, as part of um, suicide, the book also mentioned here in chapter five that uh, there, that you know, when we are feeling suicidal, there's a feeling of hopelessness, right? Because um, in hopelessness is a robust predictor of suicidality, and it is the reduced inability to generate positive future events rather than the higher propensity to generate negative future events. So breaking that down, it means that when you feel hopeless, it's not that you think things are going to get better or are going to get worse, is that you think that things won't get better, right? Once again, it's not the, it's not the belief that you think things are going to get worse, is that you just can't see things getting better. And that's at the fundamental root of of hopelessness right um and then our in the last uh, i don't know if it was this episode oh oh so in the first ep- uh episode of um of the neuroscience of suicidality i talk about hopelessness and how to find hope so go back to that one that was two episodes back um and we talk about how to find hope when you're when you're not feeling hopeless and i and i actually have i think one or two other episodes uh, going back that that covers that so so check those out but yeah it's it's like to and and one of the quick ways is to just ask yourself um what what improved today what or or you could ask yourself a couple of questions how did you get one percent better all right because sometimes we have goals like i'm constantly working on my shoulder mobility and my planks so i'm looking at like how I've gotten 1% better, or I'm asking myself, what, what gives me hope? Like what, what's the, what's the sign that, that things are getting better or can get better? It's not that I, I, it's not necessarily that things are getting better, but just some evidence that things can get better. And that's why I like watching the news is so horrible because it's always showing you how things are getting worse. But like when you read books like National Geographic or Wired or you just try to find your own personal experiences of challenges, challenges, is challenges that you've overcome and write those down. Because we forget about all the things that we have overcome, all the obstacles, all the adversity, all the times when we thought we couldn't do something. And then we did it. We, for, we forget those things. Right. That's, that's just a part of how our brains are wired. We, we, we have a horrible memory for our successes and for the bright spots. And we have a great memory for our, um, our failures and shortcomings. So we have to write those down. We have to, that's why it's important to, uh, if you, if you, if you got a diploma or an award or trophies to, to put that up, to show your accomplishments, to show that, that you've, you, you've done things and you can achieve things. Uh, so that you know that whatever you're going through now, you can, um, there's success with that also. So, and that you can overcome. Um, the book also talks about um, deficits that in, in the suicidal brain, that there are deficits in attention, memory, fluency, and mental flexibility. 
right? And that there's a high uh, uh, correlation with those deficits and uh, lethality, all right? So attention, let's, let's break those down really quickly. A deficit in attention. Uh, he talks about how in a depressed brain, we it goes back to what I was just saying, is that we give so much more attention to the negatives in our life. Even faces, especially faces that when we're walking down the street, uh, somebody could have a neutral face, but we interpret it as uh, a negative face or, or they don't like us or they're upset with us. And chances are, especially if it's a stranger, they're not even thinking about us. They haven't even, they haven't even seen us. They're, they're off in their own la-la land thinking about their bills, their family, what they ate, feeling bloated, uh, what they're going to do if they get pregnant, what I'm going to do about this baby. Um, but, you know, so our attention uh, goes and is usually uh, focused on the negatives and, and the places where there's uh, not a lot of hope. And so that's why it's so important to, on a daily basis, to, to take stock of the things that give you hope and to take stock of those moments where you felt uh, listened to or uh, there was a handshaking or um, there was a smile or, or something. There was just, or there was a phone call. You're like, oh, I feel really good about that. I, I got a phone call today. There's a VR company that wants me to uh, do, a, do a master class. So I'm excited about that. And I completely forgot about that. Actually, it was early in the day. Um, but the other deficit, moving on in deficits, they talk about memory. And I've and a lot of depressed people have uh, some type of memory deficit, whether it's a short-term memory or a long-term memory. And and it usually the stuff that they do remember once again are those uh, emotionally adverse um, uh, moments. And so that's the other reason why we need to jot down the the things that give us hope, the things that we look forward to, the things we're grateful for, because the the in the in the poor memory is also linked to the high inflammation. So remember before we're talking about how there's a lot of heat in the body and when we feel uh, suicidal, uh, but that's that inflammation, and inflammation causes memory deficits um the third part is fluency so i, I i'm not quite sure what fluency means but um uh, maybe just the ability to communicate uh, i wasn't quite sure from the the book what he meant by fluency uh but this last part i really want to get into where he talks about a deficit in mental flexibility now, a deficit in mental flexibility. This is, and we've all we've all said this and had this. It's like when you um, we have these uh, distorted thought patterns, right? Where we have this is either a black and white thinking or perfectionistic thinking, catastrophizing, personalizing, overgeneralizing, and so I, I just want to go through and. And let me know if you recognize yourself in any of these. Uh, so when we talk about distorted, distorted thought patterns, right? 
there's emotional thinking when it's like when we're flooded with emotion, we're unable to access the logic and reason of our upstairs brain. We get stuck in our lower reactive emotional brain and whatever we're feeling and imagining seems to become reality. If we experience it and feel it, it must be the state of things. Right. And so uh, the thought might be something like I won't be able to handle this situation. Right. So it's like what we think and feel. We just go. That, that's what it must be because I'm thinking it. I'm feeling it instead of being curious and going a little deeper and exploring that emotion and asking ourselves, is it really true? Right. So that's emotional thinking. Black and white thinking sounds something like I ate a chocolate bar after lunch. I've blown my diet for the day. One bite and I'm out of control. That's black and white thinking. Right. It's thinking in absolutes. It's, it's an attempt to protect ourselves by controlling the uncertainty of the world around us. This type of distorted thinking pattern stems from difficulties in early childhood, often with an inconsistent and unpredictable caregiver. When our thinking becomes polarized in this way, our world is clearly divided into good and bad, right and wrong, with few gray areas. This can lead to rigid thinking in the perspective that this is the way it is. With regard to our eating habits, we may see ourselves as either out of control overeating or in control dieting. So a lot of us, we have this black and white thinking. This, it's, a, it's like an all or nothing. And, and life is full of colors, as we mentioned earlier. There's a bunch of grays. And, and greens and hues and shades and things like that. Um, so that's black and white thinking. Uh, perfectionistic thinking is more like, is, is like when we have a tendency to beat ourselves up for perceived mistakes, failures, and flaws. Many em emotional people are either good or we, we define ourselves as either good or bad, right? And we attempt to be perfect in all areas of our lives by controlling our behavior, which includes uh, eating. Um, we hope or taking drugs. We hope to avoid experiencing any unpleasant emotions regarding ourselves. Right. So perfectionism is just this idea of like we're either good or bad and it's based on our behavior. And the truth is. Uh, we, we all have some good parts and we have some bad parts. And the, and, but the danger, the real danger of perfectionistic thinking is that we only see the bad in ourselves and then we only see the good in other people. We're like, oh, they're so good. They're so great. Which is what social media tries to do is try to paint these people as being so perfect. And then we feel feelings of shame and judgment and blame for our lives. Right. And so like, the self-defeating thought if you're perfectionistic is usually like I'm a horrible homemaker because my house is cluttered. My thighs have some cellulite and are disgusting. My nail polish is chipped. I look like a fool. Uh, this is clearly written by a woman. Um, I'm sure there's, I mean, it's 2000, it's 2020. So there are men out there uh, upset about their nail polish also. Um, so another, another thought that, uh, that we, that we typically have is uh, another distorted thought pattern that we typically have is catastrophizing. We catastrophize everything, right? Um, it's, you know, you, you've heard this person is like, I'm experiencing some pelvic pain. I'm sure it's ovarian cancer, 
right? We all do that. We go down the rabbit hole where we where we have a pain and then we we Google it, and then of course we think uh, that everything is uh, we have all the diseases that we that we've seen. Um, and catastrophizing is like when we expect to predict the worst outcome in challenging situations. We worry about everything. You know, we were raised by worrywarts who led us to believe that the world is an unsafe, scary place, right? And so uh, they're always like, be extra careful. It's not safe to. Uh, and then you are not taught the skills needed to feel safe in the world because your, your caregivers lacked those skills, right? So you learn to expect the worst and even look for it, uh, a state called hypervigilance. So there, there's catastrophizing in there, right? And then there's also personalizing. This is another distorted thought pattern that we, we usually have. And personalizing um, usually sounds like it, it certainly feels personal when you experience rejection, exclusion, ridicule, neglect, or downright attack. We take everything personally. Everything has to be, uh, you know, it's like if you're not part of the group, then we think that, like, I'm not interesting enough for these folks or I'm probably not attractive enough for this group, right? Uh, so you might it might sound like I'm responsible in some way for other people's behavior. If someone is angry or upset with me or rude to me, I must have done something to cause it. Uh, another possible core belief is if someone rejects me in some way, there must be something undesirable about me. People should treat me in the same considerate manner I treat them. So, you know, that is that that personalizing, taking things personally and thinking that uh, the way that people treat us is because of is solely because of who we are and and what we are versus, you know, they have something going on with them. Right. Um, we only look at our part in it and we don't realize it's a it's it's a, it's the relationship. It's it's me and them that is causing uh, whatever friction there is. OK. Uh, the other distorted thought is overgeneralizing. Right. We like to overgeneralize, meaning like you may have a tendency to generalize about a variety of issues in your life. Sometimes, sometimes becomes every time and frequently becomes never and temporary becomes forever. When you make sweeping generalizations based on a single event or a series of events or use, use words that convey extremes like always, never, all, forever, no one, and everyone, you are always, you are overgeneralizing. So once again, and I want you to and I want you to go back through your journal, right? Go back through your journal and look and, and look at the words you're using. Are you and highlight those words, the always, the nevers, the alls, the forever, the no ones, the everyone. Everyone's doing this to me. This is going on forever. No one. And 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 highlight those words and so that you can catch it and recognize when you are over generalizing. Right. Because the truth is. Not everyone uh, is doing this and not everyone sees it like this. And it doesn't always happen. And it's never, it's not never going to happen, right? Um, and, and it becomes important because even with our emotions, 
you know, we'll, we'll say things like, I feel upset. Well, the truth is a part of you is upset. Not all of you. It, it might be, uh, your, you might feel it in your stomach. You might feel it in your hands or in your neck or your face or your shoulders. Uh, you could hold it in your hips. But usually anger is in the stomach area. And so it's good to be able to identify the parts of your body that feels the way you do. Um, and so that you're, you, can, you can have a more flexible language, right? Um, and then the other, and then the last one, they talk about exaggerating and minimizing, right? We're always exaggerating our flaws. It's like, and it's like we always exaggerate our flaws, but then we minimize our strengths, abilities, and lovely qualities. That's why it's good for you, once again, I'm going to always go back to journaling, for you to write down your strengths, for you to write down your accomplishments, for you to write down uh, what makes you special. It's not bragging. It's not, it's not having an ego. Um, and it's, it's taking stock. It's reminding yourself of, of why you're here, of why you add value, of why people want to be with you, of why the world needs you of why you're loved, of why you have the job you have, and why your, your, your wife or your children or your husband or your spouse or your friends, uh, you know, it's, it's why, you, why you have the success that you have. Take, we have to, um, you know, take stock of our strengths, of our abilities, of our, of our lovely qualities, because we all, we all have them. No matter what you've done, we, we all have dirt, Right. But we also have things that that make us great um, or, you know, that great. Great's not the word, but that make us lovely, uh, according to this. Um, and then the last one, the last uh, self-defeating thought that we have is shooting. Right. Like most of us really check in with ourselves and examine what we expect in any given situation. If our life feels in balance, our expectations are most likely reasonable. It's generally when we feel a sense of frustration, disappointment, anger, or sadness that our unstated or unconscious expectations come to the fore. This is the best time to get clear on them and adjust them if necessary. Our expectations of ourselves can be too high, too low, or just right and reasonable. Unrealistic expectations of, our, of ourselves lead to what the psychiatrist Karen Hortney calls the tyranny of the shoulds. Even though your expectations may be rigid and unrealistically high, you still believe you can and should achieve the vision of your idealized self. Similarly, when you have low expectations of yourself, you believe you should be capable of more, right? So your thoughts will sound something like, I should be able to control my food intake at all times. I should be able to get down to a size six. I should be able to do the same amount of exercise I did years ago. I should never experience setbacks in my progress. I should never allow my frustration or anger to show. I should always be sweet, kind, and polite. We have all these shoulds. And it's destructive. It's no bueno. Right? That, that type of thinking reflects a disregard for feasibility. Even when you see that you cannot achieve these goals and meet your expectations, you still believe you should be able to do that 
and nothing should be impossible. And and that comes from social media again and the message that we get that everything is possible. There's no such thing as impossible. So we're all walking around with these shoulds, but these shoulds are, are destructive. The problem occurs because you perceive a gap between who you are and who you would like to be. And this gap highlights your sense of inadequacy. Rather than offering yourself the gift of unconditional self-acceptance while you work or achieving your goals, you deem yourself not good enough. <coughs> so, you go, so what should I say instead? What you should say is, like in, in, in an instance of me, right, where I'm, I'm about 220, or maybe 222 because I just ate a cupcake and two cookies, courtesy of, of the wifey. Um, and so I could look at myself and say, wow, you know, I'm 220. Uh, I should be about 206. I could say that. Or I could say, although I'm 220, um, I'm in the process of working my way down to 206. And I love my, and I love myself at 220. At 220, I'm amazing. I'm strong. I have a girlfriend. I'm going to Machu Picchu. Uh, I have this wonderful podcast. I have wonderful listeners. Um, I, you know, I got my 10,000 steps in. I stretch. My shoulder mobility has improved. My, my mom is still healthy. All these wonderful things are happening despite the fact that I am not at my goal weight. And that's the kind of conversation you want to have with yourself is just to accept yourself unconditionally uh, and recognize where you are and say, although I'm this, hey, look at all the wonderful things that are that are still happening. And I still love myself at this weight or at my goal weight. Right. Because then once you get down to your goal weight, you're going to have some other challenge uh, that you're going to need to overcome. And so if you don't figure out how to how to love and accept yourself now, you're not going to be able to love and accept yourself at 206 because all you're going to do is put another challenge in front of you, another thing that you want to accomplish. And so if you're so there's always going to be this gap of, quote unquote, inadequacy of you not measuring up, because as human beings, we're not made to sit around and, and do nothing. We're we always have a goal and something we're striving towards. So there's always going to be a gap. Life is about a process, not a project. Right. It's all about the process. So you have to decide right now in this moment, in this second to love yourself. No matter what you look like, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, where you are, accept that self and 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 also to take stock and notice the, the wonderful things around you. All right. So that was all, <laughs> that was uh, um, that was all to talk about distorted thinking. And that's the type of distorted. And so we just covered the, the different types of distorted thinking. Um that usually occurs with suicidality. And I'll just go over the, the, the ones real quick. Um, they are black and white thinking, perfect, perfectionistic thinking, catastrophizing, personalizing, uh, overgeneralizing, and exaggerating and minimizing, and then also shooting. And, and there's some other ones in there. Um, and this is uh, those I got out the book, When Food is Comfort by Julie M. Simon. Uh, if you want to get that book, When Food is Comfort by Julie M. Simon. 
Um, so she was covering some distorted thinking for eating behaviors. And so I just pulled it out of there because it, it wasn't specific uh, in this book uh, about mental flexibility. So once again, I brought up the distorted thinking because uh, in the book, The Neuroscience of Suicidal Behavior, he talks about how there's a deficit in mental flexibility. So I was highlighting the different uh, areas where we are inflexible in our thinking and then also how we can be more flexible in those areas. Okay. Excuse me. Uh, where were we? All right. Black and white thinking. Hopelessness remain. All right. So also in terms of hopelessness, there is a strong link between mindfulness meditation and, uh, and reducing suicidality. I'll say that again. M mindfulness meditation and it, how it reduces suicidality because what it does is it improves decision making. Right. Uh, when we are feeling hopeless, uh, it's a huge that feeling of hopelessness and greatly in, impairs our decision making process. Um, and so when we when we meditate, it, it, it opens up and expands our hope. And it, it, we start to find naturally reasons to live. And, and so even if you just do it for a minute a day, you know, Google mindfulness meditation. Uh, I'll, I'll do an episode uh, on mindfulness meditation. I think I did one already. I, I can't remember. But because uh, I'm always, I talk about it in every episode. But even if you do a guided meditation, you know, just, just listen. Even if you're like, I can't sit down. Well, then lay down, lay down in bed, put on a mindful meditation um, uh, video or uh, on Spotify. They have meditations. I use the app Insight Timer. That's Insight Timer. Um, and just listen to it. Listen to it while you're driving. Listen to it while, while you're laying down or doing chores around the house so that you just get in the habit of listening to mindful meditations and then after a while you'll get more comfortable with it and then you'll start to sit down so i you know i can sit for an hour and meditate i don't expect somebody on a first day to do it um and and i can't do it for an hour every day some days i'm just like ah, i gotta get out of here um but mindfulness meditation when you're able to sit quietly and you're able to sit in silence uh, it helps to give you hope and it helps to give you reasons to live. Right. Um, and it also reduces that inflammation that we talked about, reduces that heat. That's what we're that's what we're really trying to do is reduce that that heat. Right. That, that suicidality. Um, now, getting into the neuroscience side of this. Right. Um, Suicidality has been linked with a prefrontal cortical area reduction. We're talking about the physical part of the brain, right? The prefrontal cortical areas and an, an increase in subcortical nuclei, right? Uh, see, this, this is real nerdy stuff right here. Um, there's, a, there's a prefrontal disruption to the thalamus. And, and all of this, like I said, is in conjunction with you're, you're born with your brain a certain way. But if you if you had an abusive childhood, like physically abusive, that can stunt the growth of your prefrontal frontal cortical area and your prefrontal cortical area. 
that's where uh, thinking and logic lie, right? It's our amygdala's fight, fight, or freeze, but that prefrontal cortical area, your prefrontal cortex is a small part in front of your brain, which is why we tap our foreheads when we're trying to think of something, right? Um, that is re That can be reduced because it's not fully formed in men until 25 and in women around 21. So if, if you played football and you've had a lot of head trauma, it may never fully form. It may never fully form, right? So there's a reduction. And that's, you know, when they talk about CTE and all these athletes, if you watched uh, Aaron Hernandez, it's like his whole, it, his brain was so jacked um, on, a, on a physical level. Um, my cell phone just went off all its way over there. Okay, so there's an increase in the subcortical nuclei, which I don't I don't even ask me what that is, but we apparently it's not a good thing. Um, and then there's also a disruption between your prefrontal cortex and your thalamus. So the thalamus is is also where, uh, is where we uh, regulate our emotions, and there's a disruption between the thinking and the emotions, and that's why you know then you get that impulsivity, which is no bueno, no bueno. So you see that in the in the in the brains of uh, of suicide uh, attempters. Um, there's also wait, what do you call this? The frontal striothalamic network that subturbs the, the attentional process in this genetics early life. Oh man, this is tough. All right. So there's another part of the brain, the frontal striothalamic, right? Um, it's the network that subserves attentional processes and decision making. So there's there's some disruption there, right, in that part of the brain um, that they found. And once again, it's like when we when we're able to meditate, when we're able to do these things to lower the inflammation in our body and increase the serotonin, then we can kind of mitigate some of the damage uh, that's been done to our brain. Now, this all sounds, this all can sound uh, overwhelming and depressing, but, you know, one of the beautiful things about the book is that um, we're talking about ways that we can take control, right? Because what, we, what we've covered is that, uh, that yes, there are some ge there's genetic precursors uh, with inflammation and serotonin and glutamate, but there are also environmental factors that can activate our suicidal tendencies. But the beautiful thing is that means that there are environmental factors that can decrease our suicidal uh, tendencies and keep our um, um, and, and keep that um, potentiality low. Now, I will say this. The book also highlights uh, and this is this is uh, a major takeaway. The book also highlights that people who have, uh, if you've uh, attempted suicide and, uh, and, and strong feelings of hopelessness, that it makes you uh, more likely to attempt again because the, the feelings of hopelessness are, become, can, become, can become stronger over time, right? So it, it's, that's why sometimes... And, and so what he means is not necessarily that it becomes stronger, but that it becomes more readily available next time. The, 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 the feelings of hopelessness and the impulses become more readily available over time. And this is why sometimes 
someone who we thought was getting better and seemed happy and then uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, ends their life because uh, the, the first time they they attempted they there was they had a little bit of hopelessness and a little bit of suicidality but then as time goes on um they the, they're able to they're triggered easier over time and that's and that's what it is and so that's why uh people are often surprised that people they go wow i thought they were getting better they were doing so well it's just that now they're more sensitive to the hopelessness they're more sensitive to the triggers and it, and so they can go from zero to a hundred quicker, uh, unfortunately, if um, they're not getting help, if they're not cognitive behavioral therapy has been found to be very helpful uh, for people with suicidality. So if you're not seeing a therapist, or if you're not working on uh, the, the cognitive behavioral side and you can Google that there are workbooks that you can get for your depression for your anxiety that are cognitive behavioral workbooks. So don't think that you have to, if you can't go to a therapist uh, and you, you don't want to make that phone call, get a workbook. And these aren't textbooks. These are workbooks that you can get at Barnes and Noble. You can get them um, off Amazon and just slowly start the process of, of uh, deconstructing your thought patterns, right? Because that's what we're talking about. Ultimately, we're just trying to we're trying to buy time between something you think and then your impulse to act on it. So the the more aware you are of are you of, are you black and white thinking? Are you catastrophizing? Are you exaggerating and minimalizing? Um, as, the sooner we can catch those, then the sooner we can mitigate and manage it before um, we we have uh, undesirous uh, undesirable outcome. Now. At the end of the book, um, he talks about how one of the things that people uh, that, that, that we experience with suicidality is that we don't update our beliefs. And here's what I mean. Um, people, people, he uses the word normal people, but, um, or healthy people, um, they are constantly updating their beliefs based on the feedback that they're receiving. But, uh, but, 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 but you, you, we don't usually update our beliefs uh, with, the, with the feedback. We usually are looking for things to validate our already negative core beliefs. So we never take time to update it. It's almost like, you know, if you spent your childhood being told you're ugly and then uh, then you grow out of it. And we've seen those people. They're like, oh, they look busted as a kid. And all of a sudden, they're they, they beautiful um, uh, as adults. Uh, but that person still in their head uh, believes they're ugly because of what they've been told. It's ingrained in them now. Um, they haven't updated their beliefs uh, to coincide with the present feedback that they're getting. So I, I, I encourage you and nudge you um, and to take time, take time and, and, and ask yourself, what are the things that you have believed from childhood? And ask yourself, are, are, those, are those still true? And are, am I still getting that same message? Um, and if I'm getting that same message, am I getting the, the, the message in the same dose? Meaning like, 
you know, if you were told you were, you were ugly as a kid, uh, maybe you're told that every day. But now as an adult, maybe you hear that, uh, you know, every three months or six months or nine months or ten months or, or whatever. But you're, you're hearing other words. You know, after I do a show, I, I will ask people, like, what they enjoyed about the show, what they liked about the show. And I'll write it down. I'll write it down to remind myself, hey, people got value out of what I just did because all I'm thinking about is all the things that, all the jokes I didn't do, the jokes that didn't work, um, the jokes that I should have done, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So when I get the chance to talk to people after a show, I realize that it, it completely manages, uh, helps me manage my emotions and, and, and brings that inflammation down. So you have to update, take time to update those beliefs uh, from, from your childhood, right? Because over time, uh, we become impervious to the positive beliefs because we're so focused on the negatives. So when, when people give you a compliment, say thank you and then write that down or, or uh, uh, audio notation or something. And it feels ridiculous after a while, but then you, you'll start to see that you're racking up these uh these new uh belief systems and and even if somebody or it doesn't have to be about you personally if somebody's like said um hey you should start a business or you should write a book or you know just any any words of positive encouragement for you um write those down take stock of them and then see what themes are becoming more prevalent and then as you see it visually and then you write it out that will become your predominating uh, mental thought and your thought pattern and you'll start to focus on that more versus uh, all the negatives because there's always negatives out there I mean it's going to come from your parents from TV um, uh, you know yourself right so what we're trying to do is train change that internal dialogue changing that internal dialogue uh, that we have so to quickly summarize what we just talked about, basically the book is stating that there are environmental and genetic influences with suicidality, the environmental being uh, childhood adversity, psychosocial stress, and genetic being inflammation, decreased serotonin, increased glutamate. But the good news is that uh, meds like lithium and clozapine have shown to reduce suicidality and remember lithium works because it increases serotonin but there are natural ways for us to boost those serotonin uh, levels that I've mentioned and then you could also google natural ways to boost your serotonin the other way that we can help mitigate suicidality is through mindfulness meditation because that improves decision making right it gives us hope and uh, reasons to live and then to also take time to update your beliefs, right, about who you are and what you are and what your life is. Yet we have to keep track of these things because remember with suicidality, we, the inflammation the, causes high cortisol levels, which impairs our memory. There is a memory impairment that is not talked about in suicidality. So that means we forget our great qualities and our good qualities and why we should be here and why we should be helpful, but we remember all the negatives uh, of our lives. So 
take time and reflect on why you should be here, what's important, what you value, what gives you hope, and are your positive attributes. And if you need help with that, you can you can always call the 1-800-SUICIDE number. They'll help you with that. Um, talk to a therapist, uh, a group, uh, go to a group. Uh, you know, when you go to these AA groups, these NA groups, they're very good at helping you point out the positives in you and what makes you great and wonderful and why um, you should. I know we said not to you should, but you should be here. But also use the journal as a way to capture your 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 distorted thinking, your exaggerations, your black and white thinking, you know, always using always um, or never uh, your exaggerated thinkings. Right. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. Go to thrivewithleo.com if you are seeking one-on-one coaching. If you've been to the therapist, you've been to coaching, and you feel like they haven't given you the strategies, the tools, and the coping skills to help you live another 100 years, find purpose, to find meaning, um, to reduce that mental pain, Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching to work with yours truly. I only take on a few clients at a time. Um, And I thank you. I thank you for sharing it and rating it five stars on iTunes. Uh, Check. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're also on, I think, iHeartRadio, I believe. But thank you for all the comments. And most importantly, thank you for sharing. That's the biggest thing, to not only listen, but to share and leave comments. God bless. Have a story worthy week. And now I got to finish packing for my trip to Machu Picchu.